0: This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, lifelong radio fan above all else. And there's two big things that I look for in the world of radio. One is a voice that sounds good, a voice that sounds like it belongs on the radio, a voice that not only uses proper grammar and enunciates and has a melodious tone to it and sounds like it's having fun with words, And by the way, our next guest fits that description swimmingly. I'll tell you, if I ever go blind, which I hope never to do, I hope I do it while our next guest is still alive and recording things just so I could hear her voice on an endless loop. But the much more important thing in the world of radio, as you know if you're a radio listener, is to actually have something to say. And Valerie Smaldone absolutely has something to say and has for literally decades. She is a legend in the business of radio. She's won just about every award that you can win. She's been a DJ. She's been a talk show host. She's been a voiceover artist. And now she has made this incredible transition, not just to acting, which some of you may know about. But to the world of film production and directing, somebody that I've been a fan of for a
1: long time, very proud to welcome Valerie Smaldone. Hello, Valerie. Oh, Frank. Oh, Frank. That is by far the most intriguing introduction I've ever had about should you go blind, you want to make sure I'm still alive to perhaps speak to you. That's right. Well, it looks like you're taking pretty good care of yourself. So I think (laughs) I think I'm
0: in good shape in that regard. I. Hearing your voice, it brings back so many memories of listening to you on the radio. Not only for the nearly quarter century that I think a lot of our listeners remember you from at uh, Light FM, but all the great radio stations that you've that you've worked at. Is a voice like yours a gift from God, or is that something that you need to work at, or a little bit of both?
1: You know, that's a great question, and I, I don't know that in today's world the voice or the tone as you mentioned the melody the melodiousness of the tone is as important as it used to be when i started in this business i think much more uh, important now is the personality of the individual so t- uh, i don't know that the voice is that is, is as important as it used to be but for me um i just had this voice and you know, I'm from the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm I do, which is, which is what led me to the question. Yeah, I'm a Burroughs girl, <laughs> and I can go there very easily. <laughs> if, uh, you know, you and I have a couple of glasses of wine, you never, you never know what will come out. But um, I was very lucky. My parents spoke beautifully, and both my mother and father had beautiful voices. They were extremely articulate and really didn't have a New York accent. So I think I grew up in, the, in a house with good tones, and here i am so many years later
0: i know that you went to fordham and fordham has one of the best radio stations of any college probably in the whole country wfuv yes were you on the radio
1: at uh, yeah. wfuv oh yeah day one i walked in at the age of 17 i will not tell you the year and uh, i literally the first day i was there and i said how does this work what do i what do i do and they said well you have to audition for the announcers workshop and i did and it was then that a, a an elder classman or woman would sort of coach the younger people through. It it was not a professional station at the time. Now it's part of uh, public radio. And so I walked into the station, I did the audition, and I started to work and learn the business really hands-on, without classes, without instruction, just doing it.
0: Is that the advice that you'd give to students or people that are looking to break into radio at any age is just find an opportunity for you to do it?
1: Yeah, I think, look, there's always great people. There are great coaches and instructors that can help and guide you. But if you have the passion and the desire In many cases in this world, it's a matter of being on the job and learning through mistakes and learning through other people that you look up to. So that was the best instruction I ever had.
0: During your time at Light FM, it was, I believe, the most listened to radio station in the whole country. Mm -hmm. And it really sort of set a model not only for different stations around the country and the sort of music that they would play, but how they would present that music. In the last few years, we have seen stations all over the country on the FM dial and on satellite kind of come away from that uh, light FM model, which is centered around personalities, which is centered around people talking up a record or talking about the music, doing interviews around the records. And we've seen increasingly, particularly in small markets, radio stations moving into more of a voice track direction where there are no people. Essentially, it's a station run by robots. Do you think that's inevitable or do you think that people are still kind of an essential element of even a music station?
1: Well, that's a cost-cutting device, right? The reason that uh, voice tracking came into play was just cheaper to do it that way. And anybody that wants to have a streamlined operation can figure out how to uh, cut costs. What do people want? I think... Especially in the world that is now far more disconnected than it's ever been, mm. in a world that is dealing with so many challenges and turbulence, in a world where we are you know, committed to a cell phone to have communication, people are yearning for that human connection. And I believe that is always going to prevail and that we'll have to get back to that somehow sooner or later.
0: One of the things that I've always admired about your career, and if people are just uh, tuning in, we're talking with Valerie Smaldone, uh, you could check out her website at valeriesmaldone.com. A lot of information about what she's doing and about some of the other things that uh, she's done previously is that you seem to be able to adapt to sort of not just any broadcast format, but any media format. I remember for a time you were hosting a show on the internet with a, a former 300-pound uh, FBI agent that had gone undercover to infiltrate wow. the mob uh, named Jack Garcia. You now, did your research. Well, I remember it. I was Like I said, I'm a fan. I've been following you for decades. And here, the two of you were very much kind of like the odd couple. You have him. He's interested in crime and law enforcement issues. You uh, seem more interested in maybe uh, lifestyle subjects, theater, things of that nature. How do you – and I think this is important advice not only for people in the media but in every aspect of life that may find themselves doing things that are a little outside their comfort zone and a little outside their – what they've done previously. How do you roll with the punches so well? Any advice for people on how they can adapt to the next challenge that they might be facing at work, in the media, in their personal life, whatever?
1: It's a very personal situation, obviously. Um, I – for me – when I was on the radio for all those years, Frank, uh, to me, I consider that a part-time job because it, it was not, you know, nine hours. You're on the air for four or five. There was a little bit of prep. And then I had other time. In fact, in the early years, I was on from seven to midnight. So that was like a night job for me. So I had a whole day mm. to cultivate other talent. So I was doing promos at CBS Network. I was doing a home shopping show. I was doing a voiceover for many other clients. I was running around the city and then I go to work at night. I always felt utilize your day, do as much as you can. It wasn't about making money. It was about stretching myself and also I'm a Gemini. So that's just my personality to have to multi-track everything I do. Um, I think you have to find your path, right? Everybody has to decide what way they want to navigate their lives. And some people don't want to have a a multifaceted life. They really like Mm. being in a steady position. You know, I had a great job. I could have just done that and nothing else, but that didn't satisfy me. For me personally, I don't know that everybody wants to do more.
0: I think we're kindred spirits in that respect because uh, I look at uh, everything you're doing and the the kind of the schedule that you're describing, and it sounds a lot like uh, what I wrestle with on a a regular basis. And not not really wrestle with as a portrait of your words. It's a a struggle at times, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. Were you acting at that time as well? Always. 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 So here's
1: the thing. Theater, television? This this has been my dilemma. So I started out wanting to act at a very young age. And my father, honestly really geared me. to He loved radio. And he geared me to radio. And he took me, you're too young to remember this, but in Queens, many years ago, there was um, a, a restaurant called the Broadcaster's Inn. Hmm. It was a, a restaurant with a radio station in the middle. And a guy was sitting in the middle, like, playing beautiful music. One That's guy, so cool. I love that. And everybody's eating their pasta, watching the poor schnook, you know, <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> I love and that. my father takes me there and says, see, you can do that. And I'm like, I okay, I guess so. Okay, that's sort of like entertainment, isn't it? It's kind of like entertainment, radio. And so he geared me in that direction, and I did have this voice. And so and I read really well. I read really well so I could pick up copy and sure. read very easy, easily. So that's how I ended up there. But my heart was always in theater and, and film and entertainment as a performer. So my entire life I was in here on stage and then over here on the radio. I did that my whole life. When
0: you're when you're acting Obviously, when you do a theatrical production, you're performing it before a live group of people, different crowd every day. And it ends up being that you're saying the same lines, in some cases, day after day after day. When you're doing television, when you're doing film, it's a very different situation. You don't necessarily get the live and immediate feedback from uh, an, an audience generally. And you're not doing the same line again and again and again. Once the director says print, that's the line you're stuck with. Which do you prefer as an actor?
1: I love theater. I just love theater. Whether you're in a... Tonight, I just saw MJ for the second time. You know, huge, huge crowds. Or a 50-seat house. You're getting the vibe from the people. Mm. Every performance is different because of the relationship with the audience, the energy from the audience. uh, the, The timing is different every night. So that is kind of flying without a net. You know, when you're doing a TV show... You can have your script underneath your, your seat. You know, you can, you can just stop. Mm. You're going to reset. You have time. You don't have time on stage. It is what it is. Once you start, once the lights go down, you're off to the races. And it's that adrenaline rush that is very exciting.
0: I was going to ask you how you're you involved in this film called The Thursday Night Club, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm very much looking forward to. It's on uh, something called Pure Flix, which I'm going to ask you about in a moment. But I was going to ask you how you made the transition to producing and directing motion pictures from having a background as a voiceover artist and in radio. But it doesn't sound like it was that much of a transition. It sounds like you were always doing everything and you've kind of just continued doing everything
1: so i have the experience being in front of the camera as an actor i've done seven episodic television shows you know little parts but they're nice parts and i sort of understand the whole the whole way this stuff works And I also teach and coach and have directed theater, and I direct voice talent. So if you can extrapolate that to a visual medium with the help of your crew, because don't forget, I have an assistant director who's handling the the, the technical part, the crew people. I have the director of photography who's dealing with all the cameras and the angles. So we're collaborative team it's not just your director that's doing this and it was my first film i will tell you i was terrified frank as
0: both a producer and a director yes
1: because i came on first as an executive producer i had been working with this company for a few years and it was uh, we have done some projects together and i really had stepped up my producing there was a an incident where I needed to step into the role of a director because the director we had had a scheduling conflict and had to leave the project. And it was a week before the movie began to shoot. Wow. And we had 40 people moving into Connecticut. We had houses booked. We had, you know, people already had their deposits for their their work. And we needed a director. And so it seemed like, well, my co-producers kind of said to me, Valerie, you have to direct this film.
0: So when you're in that position, essentially, you if you don't find a way to direct, then that's it. You know, there's nobody coming with a parachute to rescue you in the production. How do you know what to do? How do you know about the technical aspect? How do you know about the uh, artistic aspect of directing other actors, which even if you've been an actor is not necessarily something that comes immediately uh, like second nature? How do you know uh, in terms of what to direct the the editors and the the more technical aspects that many actors may not be familiar with? Where do you begin? Well,
1: I had produced and directed uh, reality videos before. I'm very comfortable in the editing process, to be honest with you. That's where I'm much more comfortable. And I have a vision of where I see the narrative of the film going. What makes sense? What is a continuity issue? What will be impactful to the audience? What hits your heartstrings? So on the editing side, I was comfortable. Not so much when I walked on the set, and I Mm. was really deferential to everybody around me, and I really relied on my coworkers to help me through. But I realized soon enough that you can't be so deferential because you have to have decisions made instantly, and you have to look at a circumstance, and I do have... I think I have experience in doing that even in the audio world. Remember, if you're doing audio documentary, it's still a narrative. Mm -hmm. So it's building the narrative for a film. And my motto, not really having done this before, was make this clean, make it simple. Tell the story, tell it from the heart. And that was how I got through it. And then with the help of my assistant director, the director of photography, the experienced producers I worked with, Monty Hobbs, and Matthew Shazarex and Lou Aaronica, who is uh, also the scriptwriter, We all collaborated together and made this film. I, I mean, my name is on it as the director, mm-hmm. but you cannot do this without the collaboration of your team. And they were so helpful.
0: We've been talking with uh, Valerie Smaldone. She is the director and the producer of a film called The Thursday Nightclub. It is a perfect film so it seems i'm going to be checking it out to watch around this time of year but probably any time of the year it is uh currently available for viewing on pure flicks here's a trailer to
1: the thursday nightclub dear lord we need to have a little talk we've come to one of my favorite segments of the year our annual christmas tree lighting this kind of stuff always happened to me, Kev. Why do people keep bringing up a human factor? If I don't do the
0: internship, I'm gonna be painting a lot of walls, maybe for the rest of my life. I really miss it.
1: You're gonna see a sign,
0: and that sign is gonna point you towards doing something that makes a real
1: difference. It's the reason. Life is a never ending series of choices. So choose to be happy. An important part of kindness is cutting other people some slack. Looks like I have some praying to do, huh? Well, she's in good hands. But your prayers would be appreciated.
0: Valerie, I'm really looking forward to seeing this. The I enjoy a lot of faith-based uh, programming, and every year I try to see as many of the Oscar-nominated films as possible. And usually, there's at least one or two faith-based films in there. Sometimes for best original song or best score. It seems like there's been an explosion in interest in the faith-based in the faith-based film production arena. Is that just my perception or is that actually the case?
1: There are more channels that are offering it. And I think that this is an important point. We live in a very difficult world and it is chaotic. It is turbulent. It is angry. And people are very strange. I don't know if you've noticed Uh
0: people. (laughs) You should see the people that are going to call me as soon as you leave. People are
1: very strange in the sense that I think that the pandemic has caused people to become very insulated and fearful. And remember, by being with other people, we got sick, right? That was right. that was the pro- – you used to say the the breath is so important. Now the breath was killing us because we were breathing other people's air and causing problems. So we've been through a really traumatic time. It couldn't be a better time to have films that – come back to our values, come back to faith. And even if you don't want to talk about faith, this movie is about kindness. It's about the basic elements of what makes us human so being I, good to other people.
0: I know it's based on a novella that was very
1: popular, and I think there was also a podcast yes. based on the novella. What's it about? The Thursday Nightclub film, it's adapted a little bit differently from the the novella, is about five college students who are getting ready to graduate. And every Thursday through their college career, these five really close friends would get together and have dinner, potluck dinner. And as they're nearing the end of their college career, one of the uh, five invites her father to come to dinner. Now, this family has always been very, very charitable. And every Christmas, the family gets together and decides on what their Christmas project is going to be to help other people in need or other organizations. And the father comes and sort of challenges the four other students who are very focused on their career. One is going into business and one is becoming an actress. What are you doing for other people? You know, it's not just about you. He challenges them that they're going to see a sign from above that will tell them it's time to do something mm. other than for yourself. And so that's what happens. Uh, there's a tragic circumstance that really causes them to pay attention. And then each of the other people of the students finds a sign and they do something beneficial, charitable, kind for somebody else.
0: Love this. I can't wait to uh, I can't wait to see this. This is also the film
1: debut of legendary singer Gloria Gaynor, yes, right? Yes, yes. What was she like to work film with? Film acting debut. Well, I've worked with Gloria before. That's how I got Gloria. Um, I've interviewed her numerous times. I interviewed her in front of 92nd Street Y in a hmm. live interview when she had a book out about people's stories of survival. Of course, we know her from I Will Survive. And Gloria is extraordinarily faith-based. You know, she's, she's very, very um, um, religious. Is she a doctor in this picture? She plays Dr. Poitier, and she chose the name Poitier because Sydney had just passed away. Oh, great, wonderful. And she, an important point of the film, there's a story arc that is about bone marrow donation, and she plays a doctor who's doing the uh, the, the uh, procedure. And um, with that storyline, we've partnered with Be The Match, which is the National Bone Marrow Registry, for people to take the swab Mm -hmm. and to raise awareness – through the film about the need for people to get on that registry
0: that's wonderful i'm on the registry are you and uh, not enough people are a lot of people waiting for bone marrow and literally an opportunity to save someone's life so it's on pure flicks speaking of gloria Gaynor and what you're trying to do with respect to bone marrow donation here's a psa which may tell people a little bit more about it hi i'm gloria Gaynor, and i'm making my film
1: acting debut in the thursday nightclub a movie that features a storyline about bone marrow donation. Thousands of patients battling blood cancer like leukemia and other blood diseases are searching for a matching donor. It only takes a cheek swab to join the National Donor Program. Visit BeTheMatch.org to learn more and look for the film, The Thursday Night Club, this
0: fall. What is PureFlix? How can people um, actually go and watch this film? Puref-
1: PureFlix.com. Now, PureFlix is a, is a wholly owned subsidiary of Sony. And um, it is a faith and family channel. So uh, if you like that kind of entertainment, I highly recommend you go on. You can take a 14-day free trial or seven days, excuse me, a seven-day free trial to see if you like the channel. Thursday Nightclub will be on through the holidays. We st- launched November 1st through the holidays and then we're picked up by a second distribution source that's going to put us out to a wider audience nationally and internationally so it will have another Wonderful. another life Great. down well, the you're road gonna,
0: you're gonna have to come back and uh, when it's available in that down the road life and uh, talk to us a little bit more about it you are uh, involved in something called divine renovation with uh, one of my favorite people erica strada yes. what's
1: divine renovation Divine, so two of the producers and I formed a little company together, and we wanted to continue with the idea of how can we do good for other people through content? Right through the movie is a narrative film. It's it's fiction. What can we do in real life? So we came up with this idea, divine renovation, and Monty Hobbs came up with the great title and the concept of going into a community where people need some kind of home enhancements. We're not doing you know. Bathrooms, I can't hire you to finish kitchen. my basement. No, no, but. Sometimes the simplest things mean so much to people. So, we found people, we found a veteran that was disabled. We found an elderly couple that needed adaptive equipment in their home, uh, a disabled child. What could we do to make their lives better? So, we came in, we did home enhancements, but we also brought them spiritual uplift. Wonderful. So, whether it was music, whether it was ice cream, whether it was food, uh, whether it was a party, We provided not only the enhancements in their home, but the community came together, not-for-profits came together, and um, businesses. And we shot this in Wilmington, North Carolina. We were so thrilled that so many people in the business community donated in-kind items to improve these people's lives. And Eric Estrada was so great to work with. He's delightful, so fun. How can people see this, Divine Renovation? Well, we're in the editing process right now. So So I don't have an outlet yet, but by spring we will have that information for you. That's really neat. So I'm guessing,
0: is your faith a pretty important part of your own life?
1: It has become more so since my mom passed away, I'll be very honest with you. Yeah, and um, I've, I've decided that I really wanted to go a little bit deeper into that connection and to explore it a little bit more. But overall, this whole idea is really getting back to what makes us human and how can we be good to other people and not angry all the time. This is an angry city. Oh, you know, I don't know if you've noticed. I have, and it's an angry <laughs> medium.
0: Uh, you should see, I, I could say um, the it's Friday today, and the sky is blue, and uh, half the audience will say I'm the worst person ever, and I'm trying to distort some media narrative, and I'm trying to pass myself How off. How do you feel about as that? A fair, I, well, I'm, it's I'm curious. Really, does it hurt you? Uh, you know, it used to much more so, but honestly now I just find it laughable, uh, on, on the radio. I find it much more, um, you know, we have this little Facebook group of our listeners, and they expressed different uh, comments about the show, different opinions, and I think that's great. Um, it bothers me when someone has a difference of opinion with another listener that they have, know nothing about, and that's not a public figure, and that's not inviting public criticism. And then all of a sudden, the first reaction to somebody that has a difference of opinion— is to just go after that person mm-hmm. as if they're their enemy. I right. said, whoa, you guys disagree over, you know, something silly. Right. <laughs> or even if it's something significant, why do you feel the need to just attack this person that you've never met? Now, me, at least you're listening to four hours a day. Presumably you have some reasons why you might take issue with what I'm doing. But I I find the um, what social media has done in terms of making it okay for people to bash strangers, yeah. I find it incredibly toxic on the culture at large.
1: Well, because there's no accountability. You're just there as, right. a, as a person that's typing in very quickly, and nobody thinks about it. They just type very quickly. We need to just get together and just be face to face with people and understand the common ground is much more uh, prevalent than that which rips us apart. That's
0: one of the things I worry about a great deal, you know, as a new father with um, youth these days, because I think with so much communication being increasingly done through screens rather than in person, they never really learn what it's like to see the face of someone that gets insulted or yeah. something along those lines. And I, I think that could lead to a, a coarsening of the the culture in the long term. But that's a, a, a longer discussion. And hopefully you'll come back and we'll have it. You are uh, going on one of the most popular shows on network television today with one of the best actors, I think, ever. And that's James Spader. You're
1: doing an episode of Blacklist? I am. Yeah, I am shooting it uh, very very shortly actually that's yeah. pretty neat yeah look i it, i'm pretty typecast because i'm usually a news anchor on these tv shows this is my seventh episodic tv show Six out of seven, I played a news anchor. One, I played a lawyer on Blue Bloods once. So, you know, I do these little gigs now and again, and they're super fun. I really appreciate it. I appreciate my manager getting me out there. And here I am back being a Gemini again, having a million jobs.
0: (laughs) Valerie Smaldone, uh, I am a fan. It is so great to have you on the show. I hope, now that I know that you uh, don't live too far away and the pandemic's largely over, I hope you'll make visiting our show a regular stop.
1: Oh, you're very kind. Thank you. And congratulations on your new baby. Thank you. Thanks so much.